We are in part 23 of our Connecting to Church series, and we are launching a two-week mini-series on parenting, right? Now, I don't know whether or not you got kiddos, you have grandkids, whether you have great-grandkids. I don't know whether or not I'm just going to be able to touch your heart talking about caring for your parents in this season of life. There's a lot of us that are caring for our parents in this season, right? So whatever God has for you, I'm excited about it. Because that means that he drew you here to hear a very special message that then the Holy Spirit will take and transform your life. This is a holy environment. Amen? Amen. So I entitled this message, although we're going to be talking about a lot of different subjects, I entitled today's message, Parents That Matter. Parents That Matter. And as I'm leading you to the fill in the blank, if you have that on that QR code or whether or not you're at home looking at the app. Make sure to kind of follow along with us. Here's my thought. When you receive the notification that you are going to have a child, from that moment, you are now a parent. And until you transfer out of this planet or your child is transferred out of this planet, you are going to be that parent, right? I mean, it's a really long gig. I, I, I think you probably noticed that. But while we are parenting over this long period, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's kind of three different parenting eras that you go through. Now, maybe you haven't got a chance to go through that yet. I've only got a chance to go through two of them. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you all three here. Me personally, only gone through two of them. So, Here's how I see it. I believe that it begins with pregnancy to preteen, pregnancy to 10 years old. That is one whole style of parenting that goes on. That is where you as a parent have high influence or high control, right? That is the area where you are directly shaping your kiddos. They have a very high dependency on you. You're discovering your own parenting style. You're discovering who your kids are, who God gave you. It's like you got this precious box, and every time you're opening it up, more stuff's coming out of that. And you're like, I didn't know my kid could do that. That's crazy, right? All that discovery, it is very hands on and it is very physically demanding. Can I hear an amen from parents? Amen. All right. Cool. Now, if you, have, if you have boys, just double whatever I just said on that energy dependency thing. All right. Uh, it is very straightforward parenting. Now, if it's your first child, it'll seem brand new to you, but you'll realize that it is very straightforward. In other words, stuff like this. Keep them safe. Keep them healthy. Keep them loved. Give them guidance. All that is very straightforward. And then when your kiddos turn 11... Something changes in the air, right? There is a shift in the era of parenting. As a matter of fact, it's at that point that your children have become in their development within their brain this idea that they can start doing some things for themselves. And all of a sudden, they're not entirely dependent on you for everything. It now gets a little bit more tailored. You're still responsible for making sure there's groceries in the house and responsible that they get their homework done. But it's not the same thing as a hyper-dependent baby. It's a little bit different. It's more niche. 
This season, as opposed to being physically exhausting, and don't get me wrong, you are a taxi cab. So it is physically exhausting, but it is far more emotionally tiring than the first season, and it is certainly not straightforward. You're spending the majority of your time shaping your child's worldview and helping them discover who they are. You're speaking into it, but ultimately they're learning who they are, and they're going through so much confusion. They're starting to learn things like what other people think about me, and who am I really, and what am I about, and what do I want to do, and who are my friends, and who are not my friends. There's so much chaos in their minds. Now, this is going to last all the way until they are what you would deem an adult. Now, this is different for every child. Can we agree? Because here's the deal. I know a couple 40-year-olds not quite hit this mark yet, all right? So what it means is that they have developed all the way to the point to where they are standing on their own and they are now contributing to society and they are able, if they desire, to now start focusing on other people other than themselves, maybe even having kids of their own. But all the way in that period, there is a developmental process that you're helping them with to understand their world. And I think it's a mistake for us to believe that that ends at 18. I think that that's not even close to happening. So I think that, once again, even the development within the brain does not start slowing down from its massive skyrocketing till about 23. So we have a whole different process going on, right? So whatever that is till adulthood. Now, the last phase that I have not got a chance, my oldest is 19 turning 20. I have not got a chance to enter into this final phase. The final phase is where your children are standalone adults. That is a completely different type of era. As a matter of fact, this is where, unfortunately, some parents believe their job is done. Your job is never done. Because here's what's interesting. Even if they have kids or grandkids of their own, they're always watching you. And they're trying to use you for wisdom and knowledge and advice, or sometimes what not to do, right? Depending on what you have shown them. This is almost all an advisory capacity. You can actually become friends with them. There's approval issues still. There's affirmation issues still. You are always a parent. And that's a good thing. The reason why I'm sharing all these is to get you to the bottom line. That's the fill in the blank on that app in front of you. It's this. Parenting is a lifetime role. Parenting is a lifetime role. So what I wanna do is have us turn in the word of God to Ephesians chapter six, verse one. Ephesians chapter six, verse one. If you could turn there, I'm gonna be reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, right? We're gonna be continuing on that Paul the Apostle takes us through. We just finished talking about marriage. Now he's going to make that shift and say, while we're talking about the home, let's talk about parents and kids, that dynamic that is going on, that relational piece of life, we need to address very specifically. And he's going to give us some wisdom. So let's go ahead and just read those first four verses. You can kind of follow along with me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, 
that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Before we get into the parenting piece of this, I want to talk for a moment about what it is to be a child of honor, right? Because once again, until your parents go to be with the Lord, they're your parents. And we have these weird dynamics, right? Sometimes when we get around them and we're now 50 ourselves, we revert back to what we were like when we were little kids. We hang out with our siblings and we're all sitting around a big dinner table and everybody's got all their dysfunction on display, right? I mean, there's all kinds of craziness. They're always our parents. But here's what I want to talk about with the role of a child. It is a holy role for us to fulfill. What do I mean? Kids are supposed to be a blessing to their parents their whole lives. Kids are supposed to be a blessing to their parents their whole lives. You are called to be the glory of your parents. What's glory? That which makes you look good. You are called to be the glory of your parents. Now, what I mean by talking about this, and this is what is really heavy in the Bible, and the Bible actually, since it's so old school, it gets real blatant in a way that I think is kind of embarrassing. And maybe some of us are still in that old school mindset, but it actually says stuff like this. Do you remember that um, it goes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Do you remember that Jacob, uh, anyway, there was, we'll just say, the, the boys, Isaac and Jacob and stuff, they had trouble with their family lives. I don't know if you guys noticed this. But anyway, at one point, they ended up getting uh, tricked into some things, and he ended up having two wives, Leah and Rachel. Anybody remember that story? Leah and Rachel. That's where we end up getting the 12 tribes of Israel from and all that stuff. Well, Rachel said she came up to her husband, the Bible says, and she screamed at his face, give me children or let me die. Well, that's rather extreme. And he's like, whoa, whoa, hold up. I'm not God. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. But she was so intense because in that environment, in the Middle East, in the ancient world, having children was such a badge of honor that not having them was a badge of dishonor. And she was so upset and she couldn't have children. So she rails out her husband when ultimately God heals her womb and allows her to have Joseph, right? She says, now the Lord has taken the reproach from me. So if we want to go old school, we'll talk about how extreme it is in the Bible. It was so intense that they were saying, if I have kids, I matter. If I don't have kids, I don't matter. Now, do I think that's healthy? No, I don't. But where were they getting this information from? What's well, interesting, there is one psalm piece that actually kind of boils it all down. Here's what it says. It says this, as soon as I turn my page. Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a heritage from Yahweh, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. What did you just hear? Children are a blessing. You better have tons of them. 
right? And it's like, well, there's a little pressure there, okay. And that was the idea that back in that time, there was still an idea of being fruitful and multiply. That was this concept because we were trying to follow God on some of his other plans that he was trying to fill the earth and expand Israel and all these different pieces. So that was their mindset. Ironically, a significant amount of women in scripture, key women, could not have children. So it's a fascinating study to say the society was built that kids were everything, but a bunch of godly women weren't able to. How God worked with that interchange is fascinating. But that's a whole other message. All right, so here we go. Back to what we're talking about. You would think that if kids are a blessing and parents are supposed to be honored, that everything should go super easy. So why is it that there's so much tension throughout our entire lives between parents and kids? Why is it that some of us got out of the house as soon as we were able and we never looked back? Why is it that some of our parents, when we finally have to care for them, there's a resistance there, there's an anger there? Why is it that sometimes when I talk about God being a father, it makes people do a double take and it's uncomfortable? What is all this tension about? Why isn't it just easier? Well, part of it starts with a human design, and it's this. I'll use an analogy. I don't know if you've ever seen, now this was really popular back in the, in the 80s, right? That you would actually watch space shuttles take off, right? Now, I don't, right now, you have to kind of be a nerd to watch a space shuttle take off, just letting you know in case you were wondering, I wonder if I'm a nerd. You are. <laughs> if you watch the space shuttle take off, what's intriguing about it is, I don't know if you've seen where it's all set up and they kind of have a big rafter thing that holds it up. It's massive, but what's so funny about it is when it comes back down, you're like, wait a second, where'd all your stuff go? It's super small. And the reason why is all of that extra stuff is the rocket propulsion to get it out of our atmosphere. Then they don't need that coming back in on reentry. And you go, all right, now you sound like a nerd, Pastor, which is totally true, I am. Here's my point. All that extra weight on there is to give it enough pressure to get it off the launching pad. That is the main reason why there's tension between parents and children. God built into the human condition a rocket-propelled tension that would give kids traction that would allow them to launch out of the family and stand on their own. But I don't know if you've watched one of those liftoffs. Everything is melting around it, and it just like looks brutal. That's ultimately what ends up happening in our homes. Because the kids have this internal tension, this internal turmoil of going, stop telling me what to do. That is that rocket fuel that is trying to get them to launch out of the house. Here's what's so ironic. As a parent, you love that bad attitude if they're in a peer pressure problem, right? You're like, uh, if somebody tries to make them do drugs, they better have an attitude and they better stand up for themselves. But you hate it at home, right? You hate when they're standing up to you going, your rule is stupid, right? And you're like, yeah, how dare you? Why would you even say that, right? It's the same thing. It's built in to launch. All right, cool. 
It's just odd when it starts with a bond and ends with a push, right? You start with a bond of the little baby just trying to hang on, and then all of a sudden they grow up and they're pushing away on you. And you go, I don't even understand. Do you see why I was talking about the three different eras? It all begins to shift. Here's the goal. In the tension, keep blessing. In the tension, keep blessing. I'm talking now to kids about your parents. If you're listening to me and you got your parents and you're living with them, in the tension, keep being a blessing. Why? Because God holds us accountable for our roles. And our roles as children is to honor and obey our parents, whether we totally agree with them or not, at least when we're in the home. That changes a little bit when we start getting older and they shift into an advisory capacity, right? Now there has to be some boundaries, leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife, right? There's a whole bunch of different boundaries. But when you're young, keep blessing. Kids, your parents are going to irritate you. That is how it is designed. They're not trying to irritate you. You're just being irritated because you I need to know that you can stand on your own two feet and sometimes you get the revelation before the realization. Make sure that you bless your parents. They're not your enemy. What God's word says is it says three important truths real quick. Two of them are a command and one of them's a blessing, right? Here's what it says. Obey your parents, they outrank you. Right? When you're in their home, they outrank you and you will be held accountable by God. You can either make it easy or hard, but do you understand that their job is they will be held accountable by God on where you're at and how you're doing. So if you're a child and you're going, get off me, they are not allowed to do that. They are always supposed to be with you until the Lord allows you to step out on your own. Number two, honor your parents. Honor means treating someone with admiration, respect, and giving special recognition. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Kids, make your parents shine. You're a walking trophy. And sometimes you as a trophy, the way you talk about your parents, your trophy may say first place parents, or they may just say participant parents. But I'll tell you, other people are looking at you and they're trying to determine something about your parents. Wherever possible, bring honor to your parents. Now, once again, not all parents are honorable. Not all parents deserve us to respect them. So what do we do? We ricochet off Jesus. We say, Lord, you have called me to this. It doesn't mean they always deserve it, but I'm the type of person that walks with my Jesus. I've been transformed, so I'm going to honor my parents because that's the type of person I am, not the type of person they are. Does that make sense? I want to just say that for those of you that are caring for your parents later in life, that is a really difficult role. My heart goes out to you, and I just want to tell you, thank you for being a blessing. I remember walking with Bishop Parnell Lovelace, when he was with us, when they were bringing her parents, Lady Di's parents, into their household and reorganizing their entire household so those two parents could be in there and be comfortable, and they take care of all their needs. Y'all, there's so many of us in this room right now and all the way across online, 
You know what I'm talking about. Thank you for doing that. You make your parents shine and you make God shine. And I know it's really, really hard. The last one is a promise. It says, honor your parents that it might go well with you and that you would live long in the land. What does that mean? Does that mean if you don't treat your parents with honor, they're gonna kill you? Is that what it means? Unfortunately, in the ancient world, yeah, kinda did. But what it really means is if you honor them and you invest in them, God sees that and there is a blessing that comes your way. He sees that and says, I see your heart, my child. I see what you're trying to do. And I will bring blessing in. And you're going to learn so much by honoring your parents as opposed to dishonoring your parents. And it's going to make you a better parent. It's going to make you a better person in life. You're going to have more success. There's so many secret blessings in honoring people. And God says, if you do that, I got one for you. So I hope that was beneficial to you. What I wanna do with the rest of our time is I wanna talk about the role of parenting. You might wanna take some of these notes and jot some of this stuff down. These are gonna be very, very practical for you because here's ultimately what it says in scripture. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What I find fascinating is it didn't address moms. You're like, well, I mean, it's the ancient world. They only talk to dudes. Hold on. If you back up a verse, they were just talking about marriage and talked about the woman and the man. Wives do this. Husbands do this. So why are we not addressing moms? I don't know if I have the answer to this, but I do know that it is Paul, Apostle Paul's normal way of doing things that he addressed those that need the most correction. <laughs> He's trying to get dads engaged. So he is telling them, this is for you. Now, our job is to realize he's talking to ancient fathers in a certain context. So he'll talk about it in a certain way. You need to take that truth and then apply it. What would it look like for us today? That's how you read the Bible, yeah? All right, so let's dive into this. Here's what I found. It gave us uh, three biblical pieces of advice. Here you go, number one, it's not a battle. It's not a battle. Gentlemen, dads, do not provoke your children to anger. When men don't have a lot of tools to handle a situation, they default to what they know best, which is usually battle mode. Which means if you're standing up against me and you're dishonoring me, if I was at work, I would shut you down. The problem with that is they're not your opponent, they're not your employee, they're your child. So when you get into a defensive posture and you dig in your heels, you are now viewing your child as an opponent. And we can't do that. They are your treasure. They are your projects. They are your blessings. They are your legacy. You want the best for your kids. You want them to thrive. They're not the problem. They're your joy. But in order to do that, they must be tended, shaped, guided, loved, cherished, taught, and formed into their potential. And remember what I said at the beginning. If there is a resistance and a tension, ultimately it's rocket fuel. Let's get it directed in the right direction. Amen? Number two, properly discipline. Properly discipline. It says bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. That means get them what they need. It is equally unloving to abuse a child as neglect them. 
Let me say that again. It is equally unhealthy to abuse a child as neglect them. But there's a big area in the middle, and that means getting your kids what they need. That includes boundaries and safeguards, but it also includes fun and laughter and love and affirming. Discipline at home is not like discipline in the military. Discipline at home is not like discipline in the military. Discipline in the military are relative young adults, and it's all male until recently, And it's all about combative attitudes. That is not how your home should be run. It's very, very different, different roles. It says this, discipline in the home means guidance and instruction and accountability, not barking orders and executing punishments. Godly discipline, godly training, correcting and guiding with godly wisdom It's not just what you received as a child or what you read in a book. It's seeking God's heart and his will on how to properly guide your children. And number three, instruct them. It says, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Help them to stand on your spiritual shoulders, not just on mom's. Because what ends up happening, especially if we have a little bit of an old school mindset, Well, I take care of the family finances, I provide, I protect. My wife's job to raise the kids. That has been proven time and time again to be a very poor method of parenting. Please don't do that. Your kiddos need you, dad, just as much as they need mom. Hmm. A lot of us, gentlemen, and I wanna talk to the guys, a lot of us hope that our children are going to be better than we are spiritually. Which although I think it is sweet, it is entirely ineffective. Because you can't just hope that it happens. Things don't accidentally happen. It has to be developed. You can't just get out of their way and assume they're gonna surpass you. The best instruction that you can do for your kids, because here's what usually freezes up a lot of men. You think that you have to be a preacher or a Bible study leader. Do you understand that Christianity was actually built on the apprentice concept, not academic? Academics are lectures, instruction, stuff like that. Christianity was built on an apprentice model, which means come share life with me and I'll guide you and show you how it's done. There's nothing about preaching in that. There's nothing about leading a Bible study in that. It just says, come join me, and I'll teach you what I know. Guys, every one of us can do that. And now, we'll shift with the remaining time that we have, and you're going to hear instruction about parenting from the Han home. Right? And you go, man, Pastor Lance is going to give us parenting advice. Well, kind of. You see... As I told you, I haven't even entered into the third phase. I've got an opportunity to go through the first two phases with my kids. But I happen to have a secret weapon. And her name is Susie. She's an extraordinary parent. And so what I did in the most awkward way possible was I sat her down and I interviewed her. If you're waiting for her to get up here and preach, you're going to be keep waking. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And I thought... She's the best parent I know. And I've watched how we've raised our kids and how much effort and investment she's put in. And I said, hon, 
can we sit down and talk about the stuff that made a difference for us? We came down with 20 principles. And of course, I'm not going to give them to you <laughs> because that's way too long. So we pulled out six and we said, these aren't the best parenting principles. They just happen to be the biggest game changers in our house. And I would love to share them with you, but we are now outside of scripture. We're now into practical advice from a human being, which means you can take it or leave it, take it with a grain of salt. You can say, you guys don't have a clue what you're doing, your kids, blah, blah, blah. You can throw it all away. But what I've found is super helpful is I love wisdom from people that have received something from the Lord or something along the way that they'll share with me. I love the shortcut, amen? Amen. So I'm going to give you six, tr six truths, concepts that we've used in our home. And if they're helpful, great. If they're not, throw it out. Here we go. Six game changers. Number one, write this down. Number one, be present and available. Be present and available. More than anything else I'm going to say, this is the most critical element. Be present and available with your children. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's either on their timing or it's no timing at all. What do I mean by that? Your children will want to have conversations with you at the most inopportune times. Sometimes you think you're getting played. It's bedtime. I want to talk right now. No, you don't. You just want to avoid bedtime. Possibly. But you then use that to your advantage. Because kids are not developed so emotionally secure, they do not have all the ideas of development in their mind to know all proper social dynamics on when they're going to share with you and when they're not. You're an adult, they're not. They're gonna be on their own time, and if you shut them down because it doesn't work for you, you just shut them down completely. They are not gonna keep trying to force their way in. You get a couple opportunities to let them know that you're available to them. So be present and be available. Give them as much focus of your life as you can. And I don't care how your structure is in your home. Dad can stay home, mom can stay home, maybe both parents are able to do this or they partner this or you, I don't even care. But just be present with your family. Every time you're not present with your children, there is a cost. Now, I was raised in a single-parent home. My mom did not have the luxury of having a two-parent home. She did her best, and she did everything that she could. She worked such long hours. And I remember taking my children's pictures for school, and I took them, and she was so embarrassed because I took them, first of all, with a Harley David shirt on, which I think is hilarious because <laughs> I've never really ridden a Harley. Anyway, that's not important. I was a child. I wore my little Harley shirt, and then I had a key, a chain right around my neck, and the key was hanging right outside in my school picture. Why? Because I had to go home on the bus, and nobody was there, and I opened up the door on my own. You see, not everybody has the ability to have both parents around, but if you do, you need to maximize it. Give them as much focus as possible. Every child is unique. Every child has a personality type. Every child has a communication style. 
learn the nuance of your children's. Learn their love languages. When do they want to talk? How do they open up? What's the most alert hours that they have? What are their most tired hours of the day? What are their life rhythms? How do they share their feelings? Are they cautious or suspicious or hesitant or forthright? Are they talkative or loud or what? It is useless to demand that they match your rhythms, that they demand or they match your communication styles. They're so skittish. Once again, if you offend them almost like a little animal, they just run and hide under the bed. Make sure that they know they're wanted. Make sure that they know that you want to talk to them, that you're willing to listen. When it hits an emergency, and what do I mean by emergency? They go through a breakup, they have friend problems, they have injuries, they have failed tests, they have nightmares, they have sicknesses, those are emergencies. When your children hit emergencies, it's all hands on deck. You drop whatever you're doing and you pay attention to their need. Over time, you will develop and figure out what is a real emergency and what's not. You'll determine how long you need to be on high alert and when you can mellow out. You learn the rhythm of your child. But what you don't want to do is in an emergency, not pay attention. That will break the heart of a child. Media devices are obstacles. Your child will perceive whether you are available or not. Whether you're available or not doesn't matter. It's perception. And what I mean by that is you may be working on nothing on your laptop, but if it's open and they want to talk to you, they'll walk past your room because you're busy. You have to train them and allow them to know and say, hey, hunt, right now I'm not even on anything. Hey, by all means, come on in. What do you got? Let's talk about it. And then you lower the laptop. If you're on your phone, they just assume it's way more important and it's adult stuff and they won't bother you. Be very careful of this wall that gets put up because once again, you wanna encourage them out. So whatever you can do to break that obstacle down, that's gonna be the best. And then this is the one that I really struggle with, this last one. Leave some emotional room for home. You guys, you know what I do for a living? Huh, I'm a pastor, I don't know if you knew that. Being a pastor is very emotionally challenging. So by the time I get done with my job and I drive the 30 minutes home, I am wiped out. I got nothing left in the tank. And sure enough, my kids are like, hey, something really heavy went down and I'm looking over at Susie like, you got this one, right? But she can't always got this one. She would say to me periodically, you have to leave something in the tank. You can't give all your best energy to strangers. You guys, that's really hard for me because everything I do, I do with all my heart and I get really tired. I'm telling you, moms, dads, especially if you work, it's really hard to have something left when you get home. Do your best, right? Number two, you ready? Number two, give the reason behind the no answer. Give the reason behind the no answer. Hey mom, can I go party with my friends? Nope. Why? Because I said so. Er, wrong answer. 
Why is that the wrong answer? Because if you play the game of because I told you so, it only works when you're present. Does that make sense? If you're not around, they can do whatever they want because you didn't tell them so. Always give the moral reason behind the restriction because you're teaching them to be critical thinkers, to think on their own. They want to know why it's wrong, so then later on they can determine their own boundaries. You don't want to be present with them at all times. You want to make sure that they have what they need and they understand why you made the decisions you made, and then they can figure out if they agree with it or disagree with it, but at least they have the information. Kids, especially these days that are bombarded by information, are getting way more information than you're ever going to give them. So they're going to feel a lot wiser than you. Now, it's not accurate, but they're going to feel that way. So they're going to look at your rules and analyze them based on what they see online. And they're going to challenge you and say, that's a bogus rule. If you have not thought through why you're implementing a rule, you need to do that. Because they're going to push on it and push on it and push on it. You need to walk them through it. Let me give you an example. And this is a simple one, a silly one. Maybe some of you have worked through with your children. How about, uh, hey, hey, Johnny, dude, what are you, why are you playing that song? That is the most foul thing I have ever heard. Yeah, that one doesn't get to be played. Sorry. What are you talking about? You don't even understand. This is something that all my friends get into. And Right? Now we have a battle. If you're going to put in a restriction, what are you going to talk about with them? Well, here we go. Let's play the example. Is it that you have a concern with the subject matter shaping their worldview? Tell them that. Whoa, whoa, hold on. You realize that the whole time you're designing and figuring out how the world works, you're doing it because of all your influences. That person right there has zero interest in giving you accuracy. That person is just giving you entertainment. Now, because you're doing that, did you notice that they're skewing it sideways? All right, I got a concern about that. What about this one? The language that they're using not only is foul to me, but understand it's having an impact on your mood. Have you ever noticed that after you've been listening to that artist for a really long time, you're dropping the F-bomb out of nowhere, and you're not even sure where you got that from, right? Here's another one. Maybe it's the artist's lifestyle, and you always become what you worship, and the more you're going to listen to them, the more you're going to fall in love with them because they got great beats, and they're doing an excellent job. What I'm telling you is you're becoming them. Or are you going to bring up this? As a Christian, I'm just going to tell you right now, when you're dropping that down really loud, it's impacting whether or not people take you seriously as a Christian or not. I don't know what your reason is, but do you understand why you're leading them through it? Because you're telling them so that when you're gone, they're thinking through and going, is this something I want to bother with? You're training them at all times. Number three, nothing is off limits to talk about, and I mean nothing. You need to redefine your word inappropriate because it may be inappropriate for you. Your children haven't got to develop that yet. They're not quite sure what is appropriate or inappropriate, so they're checking with you. If you're not the person to talk to them about it, someone else will. What do I mean? I mean this. Most kids get their sex education from porn. Is that what we want? Most kids will figure out about dating from their friends. I'm not sure their friends are the smartest. Most kids find out about drugs based on whether they have opportunity or the kids that they like are doing it. 
many kids figure out if doing something illegal is worth it or not in the back of a police car. I don't think these are the places we want our children to learn. But they went to you first to see if you would talk to them about it and you were shocked and they marked you off. See, silence on a subject means ignorance to a child. If you won't talk to me about it, I assume you have no clue. And if you have no clue, I can't talk to you not only about that subject, but I can't talk to you about a whole bunch of other subjects. You have no idea what's going on, so why should I ever talk to you about it? Here's the deal. If you are a sensitive person, I need you to get your game face on, right? Because if you come up and you're like, what? You already lost. I need you to hold it. And you may need to say this phrase right here. You guys ready? You might want to memorize this phrase. That is a good question. And I, I'm going I'm to put some thought into that. And I will get back to you. <laughs> okay, just memorize that one. Now, the most awkward thing is you have to start the conversation later, right? Anyway, so what you were asking about the other day, Mom, my friend's here. You know, it's that kind of awkwardness. All right. Moving on, here we go. Number four, pray them through life. Number four, pray them through life. Perhaps the greatest thing you can do for your children is pray for them. If you work for something, you get what you can do. If you pray for something, you get what God can do. You've heard that phrase? I'm talking about praying for breakthrough. I'm talking about bringing the kingdom of God down. I'm talking about not the one for the timid. This is deep intercession. It's barraging heaven with prayers, and sometimes it takes a while. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. Have you ever had the sense that your kids are just getting picked on by Satan and you're sick of it? I'm talking about bringing in angelic bodyguards. I'm talking about casting stuff away and out and whatever you gotta do, shut it down. I'm talking about sickness and pain. I have prayed our children, and so has Susie, prayed our children through every sickness and disease they've ever had. But understand, I said the word through. You don't always get to pray them out of it. That's what you're praying for, it just doesn't always happen. Sometimes you're praying them through it. Sometimes you're just praying them through real life situations. They don't have any friends, somebody hurt them, they're dealing with bad grades because they can't understand math. Just being a praying parent behind the scenes, you can't solve it all, but you can pray it all. Number five, be trustworthy, be trustworthy. They will all hit an age, some earlier than others, where they are suspicious that you're going to embarrass them. Don't do it. Don't embarrass them. We want their friends around, and if you embarrass them, they will keep them as far away as possible. And you have to see it from their perspective. You're going to go, well, that's stupid. They shouldn't be worried about that. I agree with you. It doesn't matter. It's how they're figuring out life goes. They're still trying to figure out how much other people's opinions matter. You figured it out because you're 42. They haven't figured it out. They're sorting it out. Don't embarrass them. And here's the deal. If it's not funny to them, it's not funny. Does that make sense? Be very careful. Always have their back. Don't purposely embarrass them and keep all confidential pieces confidential. If they tell you something in private and they find out the neighbor now knows about it, you're done. Number six, you're being watched all the time. 
All your lives, your kids are watching you, and it's not just the stuff you want them to watch. It's all the stuff. When they're younger, they're watching, listening, and mimicking. Susie tells of a story that Jill, our oldest, was a little tiny girl in the bathtub playing with her Barbies, telling them the exact same thing using the Barbie and telling all the other Barbies exactly what Susie had said to her. That was the new mom. You see, whatever they hear and watch, they'll not only implement in their lives, but they'll role model it with their kids. When they get older, this is very important. Do you realize that when we parent, we use moral authority? Really, because you're not doing a whole lot of physical stuff. The older they get, you can't contain your children. You're doing it based on authority. Authority only works if they agree with it. The more your life is in shambles, the less moral authority you have. And then suddenly it's just a suggestion. If you are locked in with the Lord and you're submitting to them, you're not perfect, but you're submitted to God and you're keeping your heart vibrant for him, your moral authority will be so high that what you say goes. Hmm. Remember, none of this is about being perfect. There is no perfect parent. It's just healthy. If you can be the healthy version of you, we win. Right? I'm out of time. And I just want to close by saying that every one of our kids are unique. You're unique, they're unique. We just have to pay attention and learn as we go. A lot of you maybe are older now and you haven't, you haven't had your kids in your house for a little while. Do you understand all this transfers to being a grandparent? Now you actually get a break to think about what you did last time you hung out with them. Before it was just barrage, barrage, barrage all the time. Now you get to be the best parent version of you ever. I'm going to pray by, uh, close by praying for both our kiddos and praying for our parents. Can we do that? Let's just finish it out. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for our kids. Thank you for our amazing parents. Lord, we have had all kinds of ups and downs. But we know right now that you have called us to be in their lives. I pray, Lord, a blessing. I pray encouragement. I pray strength, healing, and wholeness into our households. Father, if you have given us the glory of caring for our older parents, Lord, would you allow there to be a tenderness in the house? Would you allow there to be a peace? Would your presence be in the hallways? If you allow us to be able to parent children, God, even when they're driving us crazy, Lord, allow us to know that they are a gift and act accordingly. Father, we do wanna do our best, but we're never gonna know how to do it right unless you tell us. So our hearts are open for your wisdom right here, right now. Shield our homes and guide us in Jesus' name, amen.